Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. The first Sunday of Advent is not until week after next. Nevertheless, Advent themes are already present in our Sunday lectionary readings. Advent is a season of waiting and of expectation. Waiting and expectation to celebrate what has been the birth of our Lord. And waiting and expectation for his return in glory. This month has nationally been an exercise in waiting and expectation. The presidential election was on Tuesday, November 3rd, but we had to wait until a week ago Saturday for the winner to be declared. But even then, there were ballots yet to be counted, and so there has been more waiting. And now there is even more waiting for ballot recounts and court litigation. And so nationally, we are still needing to wait in expectation for a final outcome in January. But waiting for our Lord's return in glory is vastly different than waiting for the outcome of a presidential election. In the latter instance, there is a certain number of electoral college vote numbers that have to be met or exceeded, and then those votes have to be certified. And then there is a set date for a presidential inauguration. But the return of our Lord in glory has no such clear markers. What we have to hold on to is the affirmation of our faith, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Despite what St. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, there have been those who have tried to predict when we can expect the Lord to return. When I was growing up, we lived next door to a woman whose name was Mabel Ostermule, who as a Seventh-day Adventist had frequent updates about our Lord's expected return date. She would say, the Lord is returning this next Friday. Well, needless to say, those predictions never came to pass. And then several years ago, some of you might remember billboards posted around Austin that were sponsored by Harold Camping, predicting May of 2011 for a return date. And now, here we are, nine years later, in what seems like a rather apocalyptic pandemic year, still waiting. 
So once again, as we approach the Advent season of waiting and expectation, we need to be reminded that we cannot predict the season of our Lord's return. The question then becomes, how are we meant to live and who are we meant to be as we await his return? What are we meant to do with what we have been given in his absence? In this morning's gospel, our Lord's delay is likened to a man who is left on a journey. Prior to his departure, he entrusts his property to three servants. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. He distributes his property and then he leaves, apparently without leaving any instructions about what they are supposed to do with his property in his absence. We are not told what abilities the servants had that determined what each would be given. What we do know, however, is that each of them was entrusted with a fortune. One talent might sound like a paltry token, but it was not. The average daily wage for a common laborer would have been one denarius. And there were approximately 6,000 denarii in one talent. So one talent was worth 15 to 20 years of work. A talent was a unit of currency, but it was also a unit of weight. One talent weighed about 80 pounds. At first glance, this parable seems to be about the foolishness of burying so much treasure under the ground. We don't know what the other two servants did to double their investments. All we know is that by the time the man returned from his journey, the one who had been given the five talents had made five more. The one who had been given the two talents had made two more. And when we hear this parable, what comes to mind is shrewd investing. There was a man who won a $9 million Texas lottery jackpot. Um, to one financial advisor, he entrusted $5 million. To another, he entrusted $2 million. And to a third, he trusted $1 million, to each according to his experience. He then used the remaining million dollars for an extended trip around the world. The first two managed the portfolios in such a way that the value was doubled. The third one, however, stashed the money in his mattress because he didn't trust the fluctuating stock market. Nor, according to the parable, did he trust his master. Yes, when we hear this parable, we admire the first two servants and scorn the third. But Jesus' audience would have seen nothing wrong with burying the treasure in the ground. In fact, the rabbis taught that when someone entrusted you with a large sum of money, Bearing it for safekeeping was the most morally responsible action that you could take. It was the people who became wealthy through their business dealings who were suspected of fraud, deceit, or theft. 
financial success was not necessarily to be commended and admired. Our Lord's original audience may well have regarded the first two servants who doubled the investment, doubled the money, as shady and dishonest. Just like the master who reaps where he has not sown and gathered where he has not sown. The scandal of the parable is that the disreputable servants are the ones who are rewarded, while the honest servant, who has done the right thing by burying the money safely in the ground, is the one who's criticized and punished. If, then, it was common practice to bury treasure rather than to invest it, perhaps the talents in the parable represent some other sort of treasure than financial ones. One of the standard readings of this story is that the talents symbolize the gifts and abilities that God has given us. And that the meaning of the parable is that God expects us to spend generously or invest wisely. This interpretation is supported by the interchangeability of the word talent as a unit of currency or talent as a gift and ability. What's neglected in this interpretation is any sense of the importance of a talent as a measure of something that is weighty, usually silver or gold. A single talent might represent anywhere from 50 to 80 pounds of precious metal. What we miss, but what the ancient Jewish reader would have caught immediately, is the connection with heaviness. A talent was weighty, and five talents was massively heavy. And then heaviness would have brought to the Jewish mind the kavod, the glory of God. The root meaning of kavod is heaviness, which can refer to physical weight or to God's presence. The kavod of God was found in the temple in Jerusalem, resting on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Therefore, what was heaviest and most glorious of all was the mercy of God. Perhaps we're meant to understand the talents in some way other than as monetary gifts or personal capacities. Perhaps they are instead meant to represent a share in the mercy of God and as participation in the weightiness of God's divine love and presence. Since mercy is always directed to the other, these talents are meant to be shared. Understood in this way, these talents, this mercy, will increase in the measure to which they're given away. The problem with the timid servant who buried the talent is not that he was an ineffective financial manager, but rather that he misunderstood the weight and the nature of what he had been given. Divine mercy, received as a pure gift, is meant to be given to others as pure gift. 
If this treasure of mercy is buried in the ground or carefully protected, it's not put to the use for which it was originally given. If this treasure of mercy is buried in the ground, it cannot be a mercy that is extended to the hungry, to the naked, or to the imprisoned. I think the parable is also a parable of trust. In the first instance, the master trusts his three servants with his fortune. He distributes the fortune, and then he leaves. Two of the servants recognize the generosity, and they not only protect what was given to them, but they grow it. The third servant, however, has the audacity to say that this master, who entrusted him with a significant fortune, was a harsh man who deserved fear rather than trust and gratitude. Can you imagine having someone trust you enough to put 15 years worth of wages in your care and then accuse them of being harsh and greedy? The other two servants understood the weight, the significance of what they had been entrusted with. The other two servants recognized the profound generosity of their master and were willing to take a risk with that which had been entrusted to their care. They were trusted, and they trusted in return. So what does this parable say to us? We are waiting for our Lord's return. And during this time of waiting... We have been entrusted with the treasure, with the weight of God's mercy and presence. And all that is asked of us is that we share rather than bury this treasure. And if we are faithful and generous, we will hear the master's commendation to the first two servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. This morning, we are giving thanks to God for the faithful and extravagant generosity of our St. Michael's community for the upcoming year. And so, to you we say, well done, good and trustworthy people of St. Michael's. Amen.